Welcome to the Healthy Doctor Podcast, where we host conversations about physician well-being. I'm Dr. Steve Sartori, Director of the Center for Well-Being at the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Mindfulness is touted as a tool to manage burnout, yet it is oftentimes misunderstood or misconstrued. Among Christians, there is hesitancy about utilizing such a practice. To enhance our understanding of mindfulness, my guest on this episode is Dr. Charles Stone. Dr. Stone is lead pastor at West Park Church in London, Ontario, Canada. His passion is intersecting cognitive neuroscience with scriptural insight to apply to life and leadership. He has an engineering degree from Georgia Tech, a Master's of Divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, a Doctorate of Ministry from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and an Executive Master's in the Neuroscience of Leadership from the Neuroleadership Institute. He is the author of five books, including Brain Savvy Leaders, The Science of Significant Ministry, and Holy Noticing, The Bible, Your Brain, and The Mindful Space Between Moments. He and his wife Cheryl have a heart for pastors and pastors' wives and have taught hundreds of pastors and their wives in the United States, Canada, Nicaragua, Colombia, Haiti, Cuba, and Mexico. He has three adult children, three grandchildren, and is an avid Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets fan. I invite you to listen in on my conversation with Dr. Stone. I think you'll be glad you did. Charles, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Healthy Doctor Podcast. Steve, it's great to be with you. It's an honor to be uh, be on your program today. Well, great. Uh, you know, the, the term mindfulness, I know you've been studying mindfulness and uh, working on that topic and thinking about it. It really generates a variety of thoughts among Christian healthcare professionals all over the map. So I'm interested in what you have to say about what it really is. What is mindfulness? Well, Steve, there are a number of definitions, and probably the most well-known is by a, a guy named Dr. John Kabat-Zinn. He's a professor emeritus of medicine at UMass Med, and he founded mindfulness-based stress reduction. And here's how he defines it, then I'll give you my de- definition. He defines it as uh, paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. And I've created my definition, taking a few of the elements in some of the popular work, but trying to put a distinctly Christian biblical worldview on it. And here's how I define mindfulness. I use the, the two words, holy noticing, and here's how I define it. It's noticing with a holy purpose, God and his handiwork, our relationships, and our inner world of thoughts and feelings. And my definition makes the clear distinction, my definition is purpose. It's not simply that we might experience the benefits, and there are a number of evidence-based research has discovered a number of benefits. But ultimately, I believe mindfulness is a discipline, a tool to help us become more like Jesus. It's learning to be present in the moment for him, for others, and for us, so that he might work in our hearts and our souls. So that's how I'm, my working definition. So what, uh, what got you interested in this topic? Well, it actually began in a high chair over 25 years ago. I was not in the high chair, but my youngest daughter was on Christmas Day in a little town, Mississippi, Laurel, Mississippi. I was feeding Tiffany pureed kumquats or whatever it was, and I noticed her left eye was quivering. Of course, as a, you know, a parent, that was very 
uh, disconcerting. We went to the doctor a couple of days later. He said, oh, it's probably a strabismus. You know, kids have these and they'll grow out of it. But when you get back to Atlanta, you might go see a specialist just to make sure. Went to see the specialist. He said, mm, it's probably a strabismus. You'll probably grow out of it. But let's just do a scan anyway. And this is before MRIs were really used extensively. Got a CAT scan a few days later, and literally on the way home, as I opened the door, the phone was ringing, picked up the receiver, and we heard news that changed our world. The doctor said, Mr. Stone, we have the results. And he said, your daughter has a lesion on her brain. Now, a lesion, I thought, was like a skin knee. Then he said something that just shocked our world. He says, your daughter has a brain tumor. So she was diagnosed with a grade one astrocytoma, Fast forward ahead to today, she's almost 33 years old. She's going to seminary, doing well. Post 10 brain surgeries, temporal lobectomy, uh, she's had uh, devices put into her brain and taken out, two surgeries by Dr. Ben Carson. That prompted me, living in this neuroscience world for many years, to ask questions about my life. Not that I had a brain tumor, but questions like, although I practice spiritual disciplines and I love God and I'm a preacher, I still struggle with anxiety. I still struggle with worry. I still struggle with defensiveness. And so that led me to ask the question, maybe there's some things about the mind and the brain that I need to understand and learn so that I can become more like Christ. So that's kind of, in summary, what got me on this whole journey of mindfulness and how the brain works and how that relates to spiritual formation. So, you know, when people think about mindfulness, you gave your definition just a little bit back, but I think there's a little bit more there because, you know, people think of mindfulness in all kinds of ways. We think of it as Eastern mysticism or something that Christians ought to run away from. And so as you balance this thing of the, the history or origins of it and what it, how should Christians deal with it and how should they view it, how do you reconcile this when Christians come to you and say, Charles, what are you doing with this thing called mindfulness? You're dabbling in something you ought not. I think there are three reasons that I would give to the Christian who has concerns. First of all, before I give the reason, is that it's in the popular world, much of what you read about mindfulness has Buddhist roots. However, if you step back, and look at it from a historical perspective and look at it from the biblical perspective and the evidence-based perspective, it really, to me, gives great hope for believers to, yes, you can practice this with the biblical framework. So first of all, history. The current use of the word mindfulness comes from the Pali language, which was uh, kind of the language of Buddhists a few hundred years before Jesus. The Hebrew language predates the Pali language. In the Hebrew language, you have multiple words that relate to mindful or being contemplative or meditating or musing or remembering or being quiet. So in the Old Testament, you have predated to the current use of mindfulness. You have many words that relate to those practices. You come into the New Testament. The most popular word, one of the most popular words the Apostle Paul used was the word mind. Use it over 40 times in his writings. A big part of mindfulness is being aware of what's going on in your mind. You look at Jesus in the New Testament. He was the prototype of being present in his busy world. He was present for the woman at the well. He was present for children when the disciples wanted to kind of shoo the kids away. He was present for a woman who touched his garment, who'd been sick for a long time. Nobody could heal her. He was present when he was in the home of Mary and Martha. Not only was he present for people, in the busyness of his life, but he also got away to be with his Heavenly Father a lot. So we have the example of Jesus. 
go a little further in history, in the second through the fourth centuries, we have what are called the Desert Fathers and Mothers. These are men and women that left the, the cities and went to the desert in uh, Palestine, Egypt, and Syria to be with God, and that desert experience became a laboratory for them to learn about God. And there are really two waves. One wave came at the persecution under Emperor Diocletian. A few decades later, when Christianity was made legal by Constantine in the Edict of Milan, another wave came. So probably 30,000 of what we call the, the desert fathers and mothers learned some of these practices in the desert, and they wrote them down, and we have their translations now. Go a little further into church history. In the Middle Ages, you know, there was really just one church. There was a wide practice of these contemplative experiences. Even the Protestant Reformation, you have Calvin who has a, had a strong affective part of his faith. Martin Luther, who said that the third book next to the Bible in the writings of St. Augustine was the book German Theology, which was very much a contemplative book. John Wesley, Moody owned several of these books, A.W. Tozier, even Billy Graham, who was asked in a TV interview, what would you do differently if you could rewind your life? He said, I'd spend more time in prayer and meditation. So, Steve, what you have for the, the Christian who's concerned, you had this rich thread of history. You had this rich thread of mindfulness in the scriptures. And on top of that, you have a lot of evidence-based research that says there's a lot of benefit. So, Christians, bottom line is, don't need to be afraid of it. It is a helpful discipline to put in our kind of our toolbox to become more like Jesus. Well, that's great, listening to that historical continuum and the fact that in reality, the Hebrews wrote about this even before the Buddhists and before yeah. the popular mindfulness uh, data of today. This has been something that God has been sharing with us for a long, long time. Yes, it has. And, and the thought of being just being present with God, being present, really attentive to God, attentive to others, and attentive to ourselves, and what a great discipline that is. And I, I think most everyone would agree with me to say in our culture today and in the world we live in, how difficult is that? to actually operationalize. Oh, you're exactly right. We live in a world of constant distraction with 24-7 connectivity with our iPhones, our watches, our computers. And yeah, we live in a distracted world today. Yeah. So part of what you uh, referenced is this sense of being meditative or meditation. Is, is mindfulness really more than simply meditation? What, what's the relationship there? Yeah, just kind of a quick answer. Uh, I think it's kind of semantics for some people. Both overlap, but meditation we might use more in, in a strict sense of reflecting over Scripture and meditating on Scripture, meditating on the works of God, whereas mindfulness includes that, but it also includes the aspect of being self-aware of our thoughts and our emotions. So a, a little bit of distinction there. Okay. Well, thank you for adding that to that. You know, in the world I live in, the world of physicians and healthcare professionals, burnout is a very big topic these days. And when people are addressing burnout, they talk a lot about how do we manage stress, how do we uh, take care of ourselves, and mindfulness is typically at the forefront of one of those tools that people have to decrease stress or at least manage it and to manage their own anxiety. You referenced earlier that you yourself had experienced anxiety and stress, as most everyone has. So how does mindfulness help you there? Oh, in a tremendous way. First of all, we all know that all stress is not bad, but chronic stress is what really affects us in a negative way. Of all the different practices, 
mindfulness-based stress reduction is the most researched. And in general, when it comes to mindfulness, there are more and more randomized controlled studies that are peer-reviewed that show not just correlational but also causal positive impacts of mindfulness. In fact, in 2008, there were 82 studies published about mindfulness. In 2018, 842. So we're getting a lot of good research telling us the benefits of mindfulness. And when it comes to stress, fundamentally, mindfulness has been proven to mitigate the stress response. You know, that HPA axis is involved in the stress response, leads to the release of cortisol from the adrenal glands in the bloodstream. Unfortunately, you know, cortisol has kind of gotten a bad rap. It's the stress hormone, but you as a physician and your, your listeners certainly know the value of cortisol, metabolism, blood sugar levels, uh, those kind of things. But the chronic stress, that's the problem when it tires at HPA axis. Well, for many years, we've known how stress affects the cardiovascular system. But we're finding out more, it's really fascinating, how it affects the brain. The dendrites, those little cell body extensions in the neuron that receive neurotransmitters, actually atrophy on long-term stress in the hippocampus, which is involved in memory. Also, they atrophy in the prefrontal cortex, where the executive functioning happens. On the other hand, see, this is what's so crazy. The research has indicated that dendrites grow in our amygdala, that part of the, the, that limbic system, that fight-flight part of our uh, nervous system. So it makes us more anxious and more fearful and more defensive. Now, kind of in short, here's what mindfulness does. It engages the autonomic nervous system in this way. It calms the sympathetic nervous system, that kind of the, you know, the brain's emotional accelerator. It engages the parasympathetic nervous system, our brain's emotional stress break, the rest and digest part of our nervous system. It helps bring the body into homeostasis, that, that uh, you know, good balance. So it actually decreases the stress response. And in doing so, it creates greater vagal tone, especially when it comes to using our breath. Especially on the out-breath, that's what engages that vagal nerve and enhances vagal tone. So it decreases stress response, mindfulness does. It increases HRV, heart rate variability, a new, uh, well, not necessarily new, but it's found to be a really good health marker. Mindfulness enhances sleep. Mindfulness has been proven to decrease inflammation. And this is what's very interesting. It may even slow aging. At the end of our chromosomes are these little end caps, kind of like the little plastic end caps on our shoelaces, called telomeres. Mindfulness has been implicated in increasing telomeres, the enzyme that slows the shortening of those telomeres over time. So their evidence-based research is telling us so much of the physical benefits in practicing mindfulness to the body, not excluding the fact that there are spiritual benefits, relational benefits as well. So it is a powerful tool, Steve, in helping us deal with the stress response. And I know it's for me personally, it's been a pro- made a profound difference in my life. I'm not there. <laughs> I've not arrived. But it's made a profound difference in my life in being able to manage my anxiety, manage my worry, and manage my stress.
You mentioned the impact of mindfulness on our on our body functions, or at least on the way our body works, especially through the vagal nerve. You mentioned breathing. I, I couldn't help but notice that you have a mindfulness tool called, I think, Breathe. So yes. would you be willing to elaborate on that a bit? Sure. It's an acronym. Each letter stands for an aspect of the practice, B-R-E-A-T-H-E. I'll go through them very quickly here. B stands for body, being aware of your physical body states and sensations. R stands for relationships, assessing the health of your relationships. E stands for environment, taking notice of your current surroundings, including your sight, sound, smells, and God's creation. A stands for affect, or afflictive emotions, affect, the general term for emotions, acknowledging how you're currently feeling. T stands for thoughts, paying attention to your current thoughts, called metacognition. H stands for heart, paying attention to the state of your spiritual life, the Holy Spirit's whisperings or impressions on your heart. And then to tie it all together, E really stands for engage, to engage the world like Christ. Practicing this in your day-to-day life, it's not just a, a devotional practice. So basically the model stands for these practices tied to a scripture, tied to a specific skill for each one of those. And it all begins with what I call the breath prayer. One of the things we learn from these desert mother, mothers and fathers is they developed something called the Jesus Prayer. And it went like this in that, that day and time. On the in-breath, Lord Jesus. On the out-breath, have mercy on me. They would pray this prayer in their heart. So when I suggest people as they, to people as they practice this breathe model, they have their own breath prayer. Then they go to each one of these aspects, these components of mindfulness, and for me, I've developed a habit of about 20 minutes a day. Someone can practice this, you know, three minutes or five minutes because the evidence space research says even short amounts of time can bring benefits to us. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, what the, the BREATHE model stands for. Very good. So three minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes, uh, our listeners could uh, begin to practice this. Yes, yes. And that sense of scripture, you know, I've even done that, the sense of reciting a scripture verse that I have in memory, part of it as I breathe in, part of it yes. as I breathe out, and it just yes. somehow helps to consolidate it in my experience. It also helps us deal with our wandering mind, because our mind does wander. When we wrap the breath around reciting scripture or prayer, it's a powerful, powerful tool. Yeah, so where can our listeners find out more about this? You seem to have a lot to share. Where would they go to find out more? If your listeners would like to get an ebook that kind of summarizes the book Holy Noticing, it's they can go to holynoticing.com, holynoticing.com. They can get a free ebook there. If you want to follow me on my uh, blogging, I blog a couple of times a week, charlestone.com, two S's there, www.charlestone.com. Well, thanks. I know I have enjoyed that ebook, and I have enjoyed uh, following you on your blog, and I appreciate that they're brief and yet frequent. Uh, you know, it's the style I think doctors will uh, tune into. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I really, really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward uh, to uh, finishing off your book, Holy Noticing, and uh, I hope some of our listeners will do the same. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks to Dr. Stone, I have gained a better understanding of mindfulness and its benefits. I'm thinking about what it means to be attentive to God, to be present, 
to be attentive to myself and simply be present and to be attentive to others and present with them as well. I'm not sure what your takeaway was, but there's much to learn from what he had to share. If you wish to find out more, visit holynoticing.com or visit charlesstone.com, two S's, and download a free ebook entitled Should Christians Practice Mindfulness? I urge you to get a copy of his book, Holy Noticing, The Bible, Your Brain, and the Mindful Space Between Moments. I am confident that you will find it an interesting read. At the CMDA Center for Well-Being, we help healthcare professionals align with God, optimize well-being, and maximize influence. For more information, visit cmda.org wellbeing. If you are interested in hosting a well-being retreat or you need a speaker for your meeting or event, email wellbeing at cmda.org. If you want help managing burnout, navigating change or transition, or growing your leadership skills, a CMDA coach can help. Visit cmda.org slash coaching or email coaching at cmda.org. I invite you to come to Cannon Beach, Oregon, January 23 through 25 for the West Coast Conference, where our team at the Center for Wellbeing will be delivering several presentations addressing well-being for healthcare professionals. Consider arriving a couple of days early for coach training course, January 22 through 23. This training will equip you with the mindset and skills to help people change without giving them advice. Whether you're a physician, a dentist, PA, NP, resident, student, or spouse, you will love this highly interactive training. Visit cmda.org events for more information. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Healthy Doctor. Tune in again next month, and until then, care for yourself as you care for others. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.